G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. As you'll know, later this year, we're all going to be given an opportunity to have a say in a referendum on whether an Indigenous voice to Parliament should be enshrined in our Australian Constitution. The Prime Minister says the question should be something as simple as... Do you support an alteration to the Constitution that establishes an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice? Well, so many Aussies who hold Christian convictions are interested in whether there are risks voting for change without knowing adequate details. Well, one of the big concerns relates to any change and what that might mean for even things like the relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. Well, some insights today from legal philosopher Professor Augusto Zimmerman, who's Head of Law at Sheridan Institute of Higher Education in Perth. He's also Adjunct Professor of Law at the University of Notre Dame, Australia, Sydney campus. He's Founder and President of the Western Australian Legal Theory Association and a former Law Reform Commissioner in Western Australia. Augusto Zimmerman, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's a pleasure to talk with you again. Augusto, having a conversation like this, uh, just let me start with something more personal with you because listeners will be able to hear you have a... A South American Brazilian accent. You're a migrant to Australia. And so coming at uh, these things that we'll talk about today, not only as a legal philosopher and your legal background, but also as a migrant, anything here that uh, that actually enhances your thoughts on changing our constitution and issues between races in Australia like this? Yes, uh, I think it's a very important thing to not uh, uh, have to import the problems of the world. And you see that in so many countries, this uh, balkanization of society leads to all sorts of unnecessary conflicts. So I would say that the best way to go in terms of uh, the development of a proper constitutional framework is to use that old um, principle of constitutional law that we should all be regarded as equal and endowed by God with inalienable rights. I think the main part, the most important thing to bear in mind is that a constitution is about separation of powers. It's about endowing every single citizen with some protection of their fundamental rights. And these issues of culture and history, they have no place in a proper legal document. They shouldn't be enshrined in the Constitution because, uh, as we see from experiences overseas, it can eventually lead to more division, to more um, separation, and even to more conflict. So um, it's not a, a good idea. The idea should be an idea of integrating a society and seek proper reconciliation and not abandoning the egalitarian nature of uh, our democracy in Australia. 
Let's talk constitutions for a few moments. Uh, The value of referendums, and Aussies don't have a huge record of uh, voting for change of our constitution, a certain level of integrity of the constitution, and there's a certain scepticism or even a cynicism about people and especially politicians who want to change constitutions. Uh, Thoughts here around the value of, of a referendum and keeping integrity of a constitution? Look, our constitutional drafters were well-intended people. They got some things right, and and they got some things that are, in my opinion, not entirely proper. But when it comes to uh, amending the Constitution, they did an outstanding job because the Constitution, to be uh, properly amended, it requires the consent of the majority of the people in the majority of the state, which is, in my opinion, not as difficult to be changed the document as uh, the ruling classes uh, tell us so. And the reason is because what the Constitution requires in Section 128 is simply the majority of the population in the majority of the states is a democratic consent that a change must be made. There have been many attempts to amend the Constitution, just a a couple have been successful. But the reason is not that the document is necessarily difficult to be amended. The reason is that the politicians want to increase their power and control over society and further centralize power in the hands of a few in Canberra. And that's the precise reason as to why most of these referendums have not been accepted, wisely so, by the majority of the people here in Australia. Let's briefly talk about what the mood is uh, for The Voice here in Australia. A recent news poll uh, released on the eve of Parliament resuming, and that was really just over the weekend, uh, showed 56% of voters were in favour of the change 37% against the proposal. Uh, Any thoughts from your side on the mood of Australians and and is the mood important? Well, look, um, we should expect this sort of massive official campaign that will eventually lead to, uh, I would even use a word that I don't know if it's the proper one, but really indoctrination of the Australian people by the ruling classes so that they actually passively and meekly accept the terms and conditions fostered by the government during this debate. In the past, what we had is that when it comes to amending the document, the Constitution, there was um, a time where there would be official cases for and against the proposed changes. You saw this in the past when it comes to a constitutional amendment that the proposal would contain official cases for and against the proposed changes. But this time what the government is doing is to stifle debate by implying that anyone expressing a concern about such a radical change in the Constitution will be uh, potentially a racist. Nobody wants to be called a racist. This is a um, an accusation, a false accusation that is made by people with fascist inclinations to uh, prevent a more proper debate 
on this subject. Anthony Dillon, who is an Aboriginal leader and academic, says that it's very hard to have a rational conversation on certain issues because you end up being accused of all sorts of things. And in this debate in particular, you run the risk of being even called a racist. So that's why people with good intentions and goodwill who might have a concern about uh, uh, this uh, unnecessary change might be so silent and not willing to speak out on this subject. I think there is already a campaign of intimidation going on in our society, and it's always sponsored by the Australian government. Uh, As you say, an inference uh, that if you take a no position, uh, then you may have that risk of being called a racist. Uh, And yet that's challenging because there's even division between Aboriginal groups as to whether there ought to be a yes or a no. Uh, What I want to ask you, though, uh, because of those sorts of issues at hand, how well is Aboriginal culture recognised in our current constitution and under our Australian law? What are your thoughts as a legal philosopher? It's quite clear <clears throat> that there should be no different treatment of citizens under the Australian Constitution. But what we have to consider as well, in the bear in mind, is that the laws, existing laws of every single jurisdiction in this nation, uh, concedes uh, certain uh, privilege to the Aboriginal community by um, giving them some uh, legal rights and privileges that other citizens are not able to acquire. And I think this is very noble, and I think this is very um, acceptable. And I would say that uh, the Aborigines have the right to celebrate their culture without being constantly patronizing by the ruling elites. So what I say is that Aborigines have already certain legal privileges that no other citizen uh, possesses in Australia. And I don't think this is wrong because it's a form to honour them and to allow them to celebrate their different culture and ancestry. What I find problematic is when uh, the Aboriginal communities be using, used by the same, uh, for the advancement of a political agenda that has nothing to do with enhancing democracy or enhancing equality, but also, I would say, it's a means of transferring power to a small elite that will probably be in charge of this uh, new body that supposedly to advise the government, and that might not even be democratically elected. So Dallas Scott, who is an Aboriginal, Australian Aborigine, he says that the problem of this... Uh, arrangements is that they tend to have so-called Aboriginal leaders who, in his opinion, do not properly represent the majority of the people in the Aboriginal community. So it's another elitist plot to use um, a small minority of people who we should love always, uh, but using them as a scapegoat so that they can actually have um, increasing uh, control over our society as a whole. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. 
Our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is legal philosopher Professor Augusto Zimmerman. He's head of law at Sheridan Institute of Higher Education in Perth. And you're welcome to join in our conversation. In fact, Augusto, let's take a call. Eric is on the line from South Australia. Hi, Eric. Welcome along. Good morning. Eric, what are your thoughts? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, look, thank you. Very, very relevant discussion and something that's on everybody's mind. It should be anyway. But um, something that's related, but not totally. There's a lot of mention these days of um, sovereign citizens, which itself doesn't make sense, the sovereign and the citizen. Nevertheless, um, the the question is, these guys are maintaining that the current Australian uh, um, constitution isn't valid because changes have been made without that public consultation that you mentioned previously. So the 1901 constitution, I think they say, is not valid. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that matter, please? Uh, a thought or two mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Augusto. Yeah. Well, look, um, I have the original document with me in my office. And in many ways, uh, the main problem with uh, our constitutional framework has always been the problem of separation of powers. Uh, we live in a parliamentary system whereby those who control the majority, if they can, of both houses of government, they also control the executive branch of government. And you have to never uh, forget that uh, in our system, judges are ultimately appointed by politicians. So I don't like to be overly critical of our original constitutional framework, but now I think that uh, there is something that needs to be done about avoiding so much concentration of powers in the hands of a few, because the Baron of Montesquieu was very clear in his spirit of the laws that um, concentration of powers is a recipe that leads ultimately to tyranny. And uh, combined with this statement, you have to remember of what Lord Acton said, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's, I think, what I have witnessed in Australia, especially over the last three years or so. Uh, Eric in South Australia. Eric, anything more to add? No, no. I understand it's a very delicate situation and and discussion, but... uh, I, I agree with the Professor, but I don't think that that answers my question in terms of does he think it's yes. valid or not, their claim. I, I, I will ask, answer to you that some people tend to have a misguided idea, especially about the role played by the Magna Carta in other documents in England. Because unfortunately, after the Glorious Revolution in 1689, there was a consolidation of that very dangerous doctrine of parliamentary sovereignty. So that many judges in the United Kingdom believe that they cannot necessarily outlaw legislation that contains violations of fundamental rights on the basis that the parliament can do whatever it wishes. So I think one one need of the English people is to undermine the doctrine of parliamentary sovereignty and perhaps to establish a written constitution whereby the rights and freedoms of the people can be expressly guaranteed and the doctrine of parliamentary sovereignty be entirely revisited. Eric, I suspect there's a lot more to say around this issue because uh, some listeners will be aware uh, Senator Lydia Thorpe has resigned from the Greens just yesterday and uh, 
and she's now leading what she calls a black sovereign movement. So this thought of mm. sovereign citizens and sovereign movements is becoming a popular yeah. way to talk about movements. And uh, so for Eric, thank you so much for your call, Eric. Uh, 1-800-316-316. Thanks, Eric. Uh, Augusto, let's take another call. Uh, Bill is on the line from Victoria. Hi, Bill. Welcome. Hi, Bill. Uh, hi, hi, hi. Thank you very much for taking the call. Uh, just uh, on the question of democracy, we call ourselves democracy. However, we see both in the US, in the US, in the US, we see the gun lobby standing over the over their parliamentary system. They can't enact laws to stop kids from going to school with machine guns. In Australia, we've got the mining corporations standing over our so-called democratic processes once again dominating and putting parties putting parties out of power that doesn't suit them. So I was just wondering what, 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 uh, whether our, our definition of democracy of the people, by the people, is in fact working, is in, is in practice both in America and here. The other thing is too in terms of the... Uh, the just one thing at a time here, Bill. Uh, have you got a thought there, Augusto? Yes, uh, look, uh, we should have a system of representative democracy and ministerial responsibility. So it's really regrettable that many people have now come to the sudden realization that they can only exercise any sort of proper pressure on government every four or three years when they are asked to vote for a politician. But um, accountability is a very important thing. And I think that there, are something, uh, there is something that needs to be done to increase um, popular uh, input in, into decisions made by the by the elites, by the governments. So it's very important, as you say, that uh, the doctrine of representative government, or uh, the principles uh, created by this doctrine, it must be uh, more properly ap- applied in Australia. Australians will be needing to uh, discuss the idea of how they can actually increase their influences over governments. Uh, they seem to be very uh, um, un- unnecessary at this point, uh, acting in such a manner that's not being desirable. Uh, Bill, uh, very quickly, anything you had a second point to make? Almost news time. What yes. were you going to say? The second point is we're saying that the Aboriginals are getting unfair support. Well, we, if we look at the black vents in custody, there's been over 500 deaths in custody since the the um, since the, the 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 Royal Commission, which a lot of those a lot of those recommendations haven't been implemented. The, the number of jailed, the number of unemployed, the number of unhoused are, are disproportionate to the white population. So there is a, a need to listen to what is being said by our back, back Aboriginals. We need to realise that we came into a country that was occupied and lived in by many nations and we've come in and stole that land illegally. That's, that's breaking... Bill, we're about to go to news. Uh, You're making some significant points there and we may be able to pick up on some of those sorts of things. Some of those sentiments don't necessarily relate to the thought of the Australians voting uh, in a referendum for The Voice, but uh, appreciate your call, appreciate your sentiments there. Augusto Zimmerman, uh, before we take any more calls, uh, just to get your thoughts, because today in South Australia, the Premier... Peter Malinaskis, the Labor Premier in South Australia, is moving to create his own form of the voice. He says it'll be up and running before any national referendum. 
Now, I wonder whether you've got any thoughts here, uh, because while we think that somehow or other we need to have a constitutional change to have a voice, here we have it today, uh, that legislation being introduced in South Australia that'll set up a voice, something similar to what might run federally. Thoughts here? Mm. They're not really uh, trying to create anything uh, entirely different from what is being proposed at federal level. Uh, this would be the creation of local voices, original voices. And um, it seems that um, what uh, the government, the federal government is proposing is that the members of the federal voice would be appointed indirectly uh, through members that are nominated by these local voices, which is really sinister, in my opinion, because it totally erodes the principle of democracy. And what you have to consider, and everybody who is listening to us, is that those who are given titles such as uh, leader or elder, they must not necessarily be elected by the people they claim to represent. But they might actually be self-appointed characters who um, do not have the democratic legitimacy to represent uh, the Aboriginal community. The creation of the voice would make this um, uh, small group of privileged individuals uh, speaking uh, on behalf of the Aboriginal people and potentially affecting not only the lives of the Aborigines, but also the population as a whole. The device given would have influence over the development of every single public policy, affecting not only a small community, but the broader community. And, uh, you know, this is actually something that can, uh, although it's being framed as a device, the Prime Minister himself has confessed, uh, Anthony Albanese, that this would potentially make it impossible for a government to, to ignore this sort of a device. Uh, to give some detail uh, from one report that I read earlier today, that if passed in South Australia, it would allow a 12-person body of elected Indigenous leaders mm-hmm. uh, to speak on the floor of Parliament during legislative mm-hmm. debates, uh, to lobby the heads mm-hmm. of government departments and advocate to the Cabinet of State Ministers. Any thoughts here? Because it mm-hmm. sounds to me like that's what lobbyists do, uh, except for the fact of uh, being able to speak on the floor of the Parliament, uh, but it's a little bit like a glorified lobby organisation. Is that the way you would think mm-hmm. of something like that, a, a body? Well, I think so, because uh, we don't even know how members of The Voice will be, at least at federal level, appointed. And this is one of the details that has been left undisclosed by the, by the government. So they're telling us that they should create this um, uh, body in parliament, but they don't even say how the members will be selected. The fact that such a matter is so important for us, democratic people, uh, have been completely ignored. So instead, the final report of the indigenous uh, voice uh, process or something like that is raising the prospect that uh, actually the members will be nominated by these uh, local voices. And one that you refer to is being constituted, as you say, at this very moment in, in South Australia. So the democratic principle is completely weakened. And the case for uh, incorporating this uh, body that's not totally democratic in the Constitution is, in my opinion, completely unacceptable.
So we all have a voice because we're in a representative democracy and as soon as you water that down by giving special privilege to special voices, uh, it undermines everybody's equality together. Uh, We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Ron in Mornington in Victoria. Hi, Ron. Welcome. Good morning uh, or good afternoon now. Um, I just wanted to make the... Yep. What are your thoughts? Can you hear me okay? Yes, yes, we can hear you. I just wanted to make uh, the point, this is a very complex situation. Uh, I've been listening to your guest uh, speak, but I've also listened to other speakers who are voting or who are uh, proclaiming the yes side of the the situation. Uh, My point is this, that uh, God will have a plan for this, and I think all Christians should be committing this to prayer. By all means, soak up all that you hear, but ultimately the decision that each Christian should make is that directed by God. That's a very good mm-hmm. thought, Ron. And uh, get a thought yeah. here from Augusto Zimmerman. Yes, and, and the Bible is also very clear that uh, we should not uh, judge people uh, on the basis of um, ethnic or religious or whatever lines, but uh, it's very important to bear in mind what uh, Martin Luther King said, that um, we should always... Uh, judge everyone by the content of their character. And we should seek unity and, and true reconciliation. The institution of the voice uh, to, in, into the, the Constitution offers the opposite effect of creating different roles for people of different culture. And this could um, be quite beneficial to a few uh, privileged individuals who could, could use this to further advance their uh, particular agenda, which is not necessarily going to be a Christian one. But the enshrinement of these racial distinctions in the Constitution could even tempt some people to start playing the race card, which would actually make the problems uh, and the difference between the Aborigines and the remaining of the community, community even wider. I, I think that instead of creating real reconciliation, real unity, I think this proposal can even drive us further apart, apart by creating these uh, unnecessary um, uh, strifes and, and distinctions that uh, must always be taken into consideration uh, in terms of uh, seeking the real um, recognition of the Aboriginal community, which I find to be quite important. But in terms of treating uh, citizens in a different manner, I think this could potentially cause these unnecessary problems that I refer to. And every, you know that um, hell is paved with good intentions. And we have to be careful about these intentions leading to uh, consequences that are not the most um, desirable for our community. Uh, Ron, in Mornington, uh, does that address the concern you were raising? Do you have something more to add? Well, I'll just add that, uh, once again, the discussion's gone into the relative merits of the situation. I mean, I could spend the next half hour giving another point of view that proclaims why a yes vote would be important in the relationship and the history of the whole thing. But I don't want to go into that. Well, I could, but I don't think it's going to serve any purpose. My point is that each Christian should make a decision based on their prompting from God. And that's the point I want to make, that Christians should keep... a mind open to receiving a message from God, because God will know the right. There could be consequences that flow from this. Could have enormous benefits. Our speaker is talking about all the negatives. 
I just think that there is a, an issue here. Only God knows the outcome, and we should put our faith in God. I think we'll find, Ron, that yes. over the coming yeah. months, uh, we'll have uh, a lot of conversations around the voice, and some of those will offer different perspectives. Uh, interestingly, yes. as you say, we're talking about a potentially a no case here, but uh, it seems to be the yes case has got all the publicity everywhere you look in mainstream media. Uh, so talking about a no case, no doubt, is actually quite important if you're actually talking about yes. making a a, 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 a consensus decision uh, Augusto I'm not a, I'm yes that that's that's the main problem the main problem is that uh, except uh, uh, you have to accept the fact that there will be a massive official campaign for the proposed amendment so in past referenda as I have said before federal governments they used to foster a debate providing pamphlets giving the official cases for and against the proposed changes but this time, the government is stifling the debate by implying that anybody expressing any concern about such a dangerous proposal will necessarily be a racist. So according to a Labour senator uh, who is advising the prime minister, anybody who uh, has a, an objection to the proposal is uh, promoting a racist campaign. So it's being uh, this person um, disparaged as a result of uh, having a concern about differential treatment of citizens under the Constitution. So the referendum about the voice should be rejected, in my opinion, not because it's the very opposite. I think it is going to cause unintended consequences and certainly violate the principle of equality before the law because the proponents, uh, the proponents, by the same, have declined to provide the community with enough information to make, uh, allow them to make a fully informed decision. Ron in Mornington, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Graham is in Tasmania. Hi, Graham. Welcome. Hello, gentlemen. Look, Australia is the most fairest country in the world. If we, the people, whoever you are, abide in God, abide in the laws and the rules, the country has given to the nations, we we should have no problems at all. Everybody, whatever colour you are or race, the laws are there for the, for all benefit if you do the right thing. And again, God has blessed the country, and if we are, uh, acknowledge that, we will be blessed. Mm -hmm. that. Interesting, though, Graham. If you don't abide in God, as so many Australians and certainly at our governmental levels appear not to be abiding in God, all you have is a battle between one ideology and another, and uh, therefore you've got all sorts of conflict that has potential to arise. A thought or two here from Augusto for Graham. Yeah, no, this is completely right because uh, we should, um, under God's. Uh, approach and treat everybody equally and it's very important to allow these different peoples and different cultures to be uh, proud of their heritage and I'm, I think that the Aborigines should be very proud of their very amazing culture but uh, what is being requested here is, is far more sinister it's actually a plan to divide people into ethnic lines within the constitutional boundaries. And uh, Ian Cadenan, who was a, a judge, a justice of the High Court, once he uh, explained that um, these constitutional provisions 
they might uh, actually lead to, um, uh, you know, uh, problems with fairness, even social cohesion. And there is another problem with the clarity of its application, because ultimately you have to be matters decided by the courts. So I think that that uh, Christian idea that's expressed in the American Declaration of Independence, that we are all created equal, endowed by God with inalienable rights, is a far better principle of constitutional law than, for instance, we got here first and then we should have more rights. I don't think this is good for the Aboriginal community because it gives them a, a sense of entitlement that has not been healthy for them and certainly not good for um, the idea that the Constitution should promote equality and protection of fundamental rights for all, regardless of, regardless of race, religion or ethnicity. Uh, Graham, any thank, other you. Consideration. thank you, Graham, for your call, 1-800-316-316. Just before we do move on there, you're making a very significant point here, I think, Augusto, that the Constitution doesn't necessarily reflect a historic past, uh, but actually mm-hmm. it unites us for a future. Uh, is that one way of looking at how the Constitution has that value? Yes, because the Constitution is not to be a historical document or telling history or about what might happen in the past, but it's about uh, limiting the powers of the state so as to protect our individual rights and freedoms, and these rights should be protected in such a manner that everybody is endowed with what uh, the founders in America said so wisely, uh, in order for them to be equal before the law and endowed by God with inalienable rights. 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. David is in Melbourne. Hello, David. Welcome. Uh, thanks. Uh, Augusto, I just have a question about um, Indigenous politicians. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, there mm-hmm. are about 11 in the federal um, parliament at the moment. If the indig- mm-hmm. If the voice... Uh, gets in, will that increase or likely decrease the number of um, of uh, Aboriginal uh, politicians that are likely to be elected? I just want to know your opinion on that. Augusto. I think it's a very, it's a very good point, uh, because at this point, uh, as far as I know, and Chris Merritt uh, from the Rule of Law Institute has uh, commented something that I hadn't noticed before, that there is um, an over-representation of the Aboriginal community in Parliament because they uh, have more proportionally representatives at this point in Parliament than proportionally to the numbers uh, within the community, which shows that many people in Australia want to give uh, more representation to the Aboriginal community within the um, uh, structure of the current uh, Parliament, uh, parliamentary, uh, uh, you know, um, framework. So uh, this is a very important point. I'm not so sure whether the voice would actually be, be counterproductive in this sense, and those who are Aborigines would find it more difficult to be voted for in, in Parliament because they would uh, be told to be joining the voice instead. So that's why I feel that this uh, idea can actually be very dangerous because it can divide us into lines of ethnicity and not necessarily achieve proper reconciliation. But rather, what we might be doing is to abandon the egalitarian nature of our democracy. 
David, thank you so much for your call. Let's take one more call. Pat is in Western Australia. Hi, Pat. Welcome. Good morning, and thank you for your program, which I have just tuned into. I'm just wondering if the people who pushed the yes vote for same-sex marriage are not basically the same people pushing for the yes vote here. Uh, well, that would be tiring a lot of people with uh, brush, maybe mm-hmm. not fairly. But uh, Augusto, your thoughts mm-hmm. for Pat? Well, look, I think the Constitution having this sort of tradition and 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 the history behind, it's quite clear that there are some groups who seek other agendas and then can use obviously all sorts of causes to advance these uh, changes that they want to see so remarkably obtained in our society. So I would not be surprised if many people who support the redefinition of a millennial institution would be also supporting radical changes because ultimately what they want is to redesign our society and social re-engineer our community. So uh, it's obvious that some people might embrace this cause, but they have to be very careful to not be used by others as what Lenin would describe as being the social or, or the useful idiots. I mean, the point with some causes is that they can be easily hijacked and uh, turned into a minority cause that is not really intending the best interests of the community more broadly speaking. Pat in WA, thank you so much for your call. Time is running out, Augusto. If we're talking about Christians in the lead-up to a referendum later this year on The Voice, uh, I've been encouraging people to keep an open mind uh, and as Christians, applying your Christian faith into how you think everything might unfold. Uh, Any thoughts here? Because uh, there is... Obviously, a need to be able to understand the no case. You can't just keep your head in the sand and believe everything, as you say. There's like an indoctrination program going on for the yes case. You can't ignore the no case. Is there Christian wisdom in keeping an open heart, open mind, and uh, and in some ways uh, honouring our Aboriginal brothers and sisters in doing so? We might make that vote when the referendum comes around, but what are your thoughts here for Christians and the way we navigate a way forward here with all of the uh, all of the indoctrination program, as you've put it. Yes, I think we have to be very careful because the political established establishment might eventually have uh, fomented an agenda that can ultimately undermine a more um, unified society, and and it's very important also that we uh, do not allow the revisitation of the ancient divide-and-conquer strategy that was so successfully applied by the ancient Romans. I think what we need is to facilitate what I would call or describe the achievement of real reconciliation, harmony, peace, and even, I would say, compassion and love in our community. But a lot, lot of people, a lot of people are now wanting to rewrite the Constitution on the basis of sometimes even of hatred, because the um, critical uh, theory approach, critical race theory approach, is not about exercising Christian love, but about demonizing certain ethnic groups 
and trying to blame them for instances of oppression that probably have even occurred in the past. But this is not the Christian way. The Christian way is to seek reconciliation, authentic one, and avoid that certain political agendas that are used to destroy our community, uh, that these agendas uh, will be ultimately rejected. We have to um, protect our democracy and protect uh, a society where everybody, regardless of any uh, social, ethnic, or religious consideration, can be treated with dignity and with respect and protected in their inalienable rights. So to be ultra-cautious around that critical race theory approach that creates victims and perpetrators yes. and to take a Christian position in all of that which says uh, an equality, a true equality, an egalitarian equality is where we ought to be thinking around how our vote on the referendum actually will uh, will come to pass. Hey, let me just touch on very quickly, there is a seminar that's coming up It's about The Voice. It is presenting a no case. Uh, A quick thought or two here from what's coming up on the 20th of February, Augusto. You're not necessarily one of the speakers, but you're a part of the coordination of that. How's it going to look on the day? Well, look, the the, the whole point is to allow uh, people to have the right to express their opinions without being censored by others. And as I say, the official campaign is all in favor of these uh, uh, proposed changes in the Constitution. So what what Walter and the civilizationists are doing is to allow Emeritus Professor Gabriel Moyes and Warren Mundin, uh, as you know, he is uh, uh, from New South Wales coming over to Perth for this event, to express their uh, concerns about these possible changes and to say why they... And you know that Mountain is uh, an Aboriginal leader. Why they object to uh, the implementation of the voice to Parliament? And I think it's important for us to hear what they have to say. And what I'm doing is to do what the government should be doing, which is be really interested in a proper debate and not calling people racist if they dare to have a different opinion from the ones expressed by the ruling elites. Well, to lock in a place at that seminar for Western Australian listeners, uh, the Walter website, the West Australian Legal Theory Association, walta.net.au, to be a part of that seminar about The Voice presenting the No case. It's on the 20th of February, Belmont RSL Hall in Belmont in Western Australia. Uh, Augusto Zimmerman, always good getting your clear insights and uh, you do challenge us all. And I want to thank you so much uh, for that today and for being a part of 2020 once again. Thank you, Neil. God bless you and God bless your listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.